0: Well, good morning, church. How is everyone this morning? Good. Wow, there's six people that are great. Awesome. <laughs> well, my name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here, if I've not met you. And welcome to New Life Cool and Gather. Before I get started, I've got a little bit of family news. David Skambry over there. Can you stand up, David? Everyone just saw you. David has come on staff as of this week. So how good is that? <laughs> David has been a huge blessing to our community for the whole time that we've been planted here for over a year and a half now, um, and we've been able to put him on the staff because of your generosity. He's going to be our community's pastor, leading all of our small groups, our volunteer ministries and about a million other things that David does here, so we're really stoked that he's able to be with us on staff. But today what we're doing is we're starting a new sermon series that will go for the next five weeks, and it's called Crucial Conversations. Now, as Christians, it's important that our discipleship to Jesus includes increased thought in areas of change in our culture and society. You see, people ask questions, especially around important issues of these current times, and we need to be prepared to have these crucial conversations with people. Jesus didn't run from crucial moments, but he spoke or lived directly into them. So what does it mean to walk in the ways of Jesus' Well in the different tensions in our culture that we're currently facing. And this series will aim to ask a few of those key questions that have arisen in our cultural moment. And what we're going to do today is we're going to explore suffering. We're going to look at God and suffering, because one of the most common questions I get as a pastor is, if God is so loving, why does he allow suffering? And what does he allow suffering to good people or, or to Christians if he's so loving? And you know what? These are actually really good questions, but I think most of us wouldn't know how to answer them well. And what we shouldn't do, we shouldn't run from these crucial conversations, but engage in truth, in grace, and in love. So the question is, why is there suffering? And are we Christians promised a life free from suffering? And what I want to do is I want to, Preface this message by saying that I know that some of you right now are going through a lot of pain and suffering. Like you're going through things that I have no idea how hard that must be for you. And so please hear this message in love. And if there's anything going on, if there's anything in this message that upsets you, please come and see us as a ministry team. We want to stand with you. We want to support you. We want to partially care for you. But I think there's some things we can learn through God's word about suffering. In John 16, Jesus addresses his disciples on this very subject of suffering. In John 16, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you, have made, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Now that word tribulation is the Greek word philipsis, which actually means trouble, affliction, anguish, burden, persecution, Suffering. He says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you step into these conversations. You step into people's suffering. Lord, I pray that this message wouldn't hurt anyone, Lord, but it'd be a message of, of grace and truth and love. Lord, I pray that you would help me preach this message. Lord, that in the end they wouldn't look to me, but they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, we've actually been sold a lie. And the unfortunate thing is we've swallowed it hook, line and sinker. And the lie is that once you become a Christian, you can expect not to suffer like everyone else. Now, as a Christian, you can expect health, wealth, and prosperity, but that's a lie. And this is because the prosperity gospel has infected our thinking in the Western church, and you might be saying, what's the prosperity gospel? The prosperity gospel is this idea or this theology that we now, as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, we don't need suffering anymore, we don't have suffering, and we should be fully, fully wealthy. That if you want wealth, you get it. If you want health, you get it. And if you're not getting it, you're just doing the wrong things. You just got to give more to get more money. And unfortunately, the prosperity gospel, it's unbiblical. The problem is the lie that once you become a Christian, you can expect not to suffer like everyone else is kind of true. But this is where we get it wrong. We will suffer the same as everyone else in the world. We will suffer pain. We'll get sick. We'll suffer loss. We'll grieve. We'll struggle with mental health. We'll struggle with finances, work, and family, but we have a different view of suffering as Christians. So it shouldn't affect us the same. Suffering shouldn't destroy us, but make us see it's an opportunity for the truth of the gospel. You see, as Christians, we know we will suffer, so we're prepared. We know God's with us no matter what we suffer, so we're not alone. We know that Jesus suffered, so God knows the depths of our suffering. And we know there's purpose to our suffering, so we can actually endure with faith, hope and love. And this is what I'm going to explore today. You know, I remember when I first got saved, um, and as soon as I got saved, I didn't have a good theology, right? Because when you get saved, you don't have a great theology. Um, You just got saved, and I started reading the Bible, and it was really interesting. I hurt my back surfing, so I had some um, bulging discs, and I had a fused disc down in my back as well, so... I hurt my back and I was out of the water for about three months. And I was in excruciating pain and and I'm thinking, wow, could God heal me? Like God could heal me from this, right? And then the first surf back, I broke my ankle. (laughs) Like I broke my ankle in the surf and I came out of the surf. I couldn't walk. I got out and I go to the physio and he's like, oh, this is going to take about eight weeks. You should go get an x-ray. And I'm like, ha, I'll be fine. Didn't go get x-rayed, so it took over about 12 weeks to get better, over three months. And again, first surf back, I put a brace on my ankle and I go back. First wave, bang, my back goes. I actually herniated a disc. It came out between my spinal cord and my spine. And I literally couldn't walk. And I'm going to see doctors, and they're telling me, you need surgery. And I'm thinking, if I get surgery, I'm going to get sacked from my job. I was working as a crane driver at the time. I'm like, they're going to sack me 100%. And so I went through this season of going, I'm in pain. I couldn't even pick my kids up for about six months. So this went for about 12 months in total. And the whole time I'm thinking, I get it. You know, I got saved at 33. God's just punishing me for all my sin. Like it's time for me to pay back what I'd done. You see, I had this twisted theology, right? I didn't understand the love of God and what he'd actually done for me, what he'd bought for me on the cross, He could have healed me at any time, but he didn't. Why? Didn't he love me? What was the point of this suffering? It's really interesting, though, but over that season, God started to teach me that I don't have to pay for my sins. Jesus paid for that on the cross. That this wasn't from God, that this was an attack of the enemy. He wants me to put me off God, put me off following Jesus. And through this season, God taught me true theology through his word. And that I could fight against this. And it was over that time where I had this bad back that I was praying for people back and and they were getting healed. God was healing people's backs, yet I was still in pain. But God was doing something in me. He was building my character. So God had a purpose and I'm actually the better for it. So what I've realized from suffering everything that I've suffered, I've learned that that everything that comes against me is actually an opportunity to make me more like Jesus. You see, I don't think suffering is the main issue. It's suffering without a purpose is the real issue. Let me prove this to you. Think about people that run marathons, right? That's suffering, okay, like you are running for a long time. You see those people coming across the line? They can barely walk. Some of them literally crawl across the line, right? Look at these people that train and suffer and sacrifice everything. For what? because they have a purpose, right? They want the victory, they want the accolades. It's not suffering that's the issue, it's suffering without purpose. Like, here's the crazy thing, as humans, we'll even pay to suffer. My wife is a personal trainer, people pay her to destroy them. They vomit in their classes and all this sort of stuff, and people say to me, why don't you train with your wife? I'm like, I know what she's like. I'm not paying to suffer. But right, we pay to suffer. So the real issue is suffering without purpose. And here's the problem with people who don't believe in a loving God. There's actually no purpose in suffering. Therefore, it's to be avoided and it destroys people because they don't see any good in it at all. But what if we knew or had faith that suffering actually had a purpose, even when we don't see it? Would that change the way you suffer, how you would actually live? Would that give you the drive and the strength to endure suffering, like? like fitness, I think it does because we'll endure if there is a purpose and I believe there's a few things we need to learn to live in hope, faith and love in the face of suffering and a few things we need to learn to have these crucial conversations with people, with non-Christians and with Christians. The first thing we need to learn is where suffering actually originated. Now suffering and pain originated back in the Garden of Eden right at the start of the Bible in Genesis 3. So we see here, everything is perfect, right? And Satan comes up to Eve and says, hey, can you do whatever you want? Can you eat or anything? She goes, look, we can do whatever we like. We can eat whatever we like, but we can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if we eat of that, we actually die. That's what God said. And this is Satan's response. It says, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. See, we see here in the Garden of Eden, everything's perfect, but there was this temptation. And this temptation would be, you would be like God. It's the ultimate temptation, right? That we want to be our own gods. We want to do our own things. And this is what he tempts Eve with. And in verse 6, it says, So then the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise or like God. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So they do. They eated this tree, right? And then all of a sudden, they notice they're naked. How do they notice they're naked? Because sin has now entered into the world, right? Evil has entered in. And here's the thing with evil. That's why it's called the knowledge of the tree, uh, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because you can't truly experience evil without experiencing it in your life. You can't truly know the difference between good and evil without experiencing it, right? Like if I say, what's it like kicking your toe? You go, oh, it must be pretty bad. But if you kick your toe, you go, yeah, that's really bad, right? It hurts. So what we did in this moment, we invited evil and suffering in as part of our experience of humanity. And what that did is it permeated everything. It permeated our hearts that our hearts are sinful, it permeated creation and it permeates our bodies, we get sick. So the truth is, humanity rejected this pain-free life for the opportunity to be like God. So when we get asked the question, if God is so loving, why is he allow suffering? We should ask ourselves the question, why did we choose suffering over trusting and obeying God? You see, suffering is self-induced, not only here in Genesis, but suffering and pain is sometimes self-induced in our lives right am i right a lot of suffering we face is because we ourselves or other human beings have sinned against each other it actually has nothing to do with god how often do we go through suffering and pain through arguments we want to fight with people we want to be right our pride comes in and takes over and causes pain and suffering in our lives Or greed comes in, and we want more of this, we want more of that, and we'll run over people to get it. Or people will run over you. When people steal from you, or we get into trouble with our finances, because we want everything that the world offers, and then we have all this debt that we can't simply pay off. Or our health. You know, we eat KFC every week, like I used to, and uh, now I'm on a diet. It's right, that's self-induced, right? It's not great. It's not great because we bring these things on ourselves. We smoke, we hurt ourselves. The problem is it's a problem with the human heart. And we want to blame someone else for our sins. So instead of taking responsibility for our actions or the actions of others, we actually blame God. God becomes this easy scapegoat, right? So instead of saying, oh, these are my actions or these are the actions of others, we can just go, we won't face that. It's your fault. Why are you allowing it? It's so bad. We actually need to take responsibility for it. It's not God's fault if someone steals from you. How is it God's fault if you're sick? Because we're living an unhealthy lifestyle. We need to take responsibility for the suffering we've caused to ourselves and others. And we need to actually repent and stop blaming God as if he did it. Because until we actually recognize that we are part of the problem, that we participate in suffering in the world, we won't actually do anything about it. And we need to repent of sin and turn to God. That's the gospel message, right? So now we know that suffering originated with us and we are partakers in perpetuating this suffering in the world and we need to repent. What does Jesus actually say about suffering? Well, Let's go back to that Bible verse that I read at the beginning of the the message. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, John 16 is this last discourse where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to go to die for all of humanity. He has this last opportunity to speak to his disciples. And what does he do? He says, these things I have told you, that you would have peace. He's saying, I am preparing you for a life of suffering. Don't think it's weird that you're going to suffer. I'm preparing you for that. And he says, in the world you will have tribulation. He didn't say in the world you might or in the world you won't because I'm going to protect everything. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. You see, that Jesus doesn't promise his disciples they won't face suffering. He actually says you will suffer. And in fact, this passage in context, Jesus is telling his disciples they'll suffer more than the rest of the world, because they'll actually suffer for the name of Jesus. They'll actually be persecuted, every single one of them, for being followers of Jesus. Do we know that every single disciple, except for one, died, was murdered, was persecuted for the faith? Some were speared. A few of them had their heads cut off. One was crucified upside down. The apostle John, they tried to boil him to death. It didn't work. Can you imagine that? Being boiled? This is suffering, right? This is Jesus' disciples. If he's going to protect anyone, he'd protect them, wouldn't he? But Jesus says to them, you will go through trials and tribulations. And in Luke 23, 22, 31, I love this conversation. There's this crazy conversation that Jesus has with Peter. And he says to Peter, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may shift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You see, Jesus promises Peter that he's going to have good trial here. Like Satan has asked to attack him. Satan has asked to come and sift him as wheat, to mess him up. And Jesus doesn't say, I've prayed and that's not going to happen. He says, I've prayed that although that's going to happen, your faith won't fail. Jesus prays that, that his faith would stand strong. Why? There's a purpose there. That what happens after that, that you return to me and then you would strengthen your brethren. You see, Peter has this purpose in his suffering. This experience of pain will actually equip him to disciple others, to lead them in love and grace. Here's the thing. After all of this, we see Jesus walking around the Gospels. Jesus never made light of suffering in the Gospels. In fact, he was moved deeply by our suffering. And he actually came to set us free from eternal suffering. Amen? Amen. And so we see Jesus walking around and, and he sees Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. And Lazarus' sisters come to him and he sees the grief on them and it says Jesus wept. Jesus felt the pain of grief. He sees a widow whose son has died. Her husband's died. Her son has now died. And it says, Jesus had compassion. That word there in the Greek is this deep, gut-wrenching compassion for her. And he goes over and touches the casket, and he raises to life. We see Jesus had compassion on lepers. He's grieved for the lost and the lonely. He feeds the 5,000. It says, he had compassion. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so then he goes and feeds the 5,000. These are all responses to human suffering. Suffering of real people. If you're suffering, God is grieved. He sees it and knows what you're going through and he has compassion for you. And there are times where he will actually relieve that pain, but there are times where he won't. But this is the truth. This is where faith comes in because we believe that God is perfect love and that God is sovereign over everything. So if we're relieved from suffering or if we continue to suffer, we trust that God has a plan. That somehow this is going to work together for good, for us, for those around us and for the glory of God. And this is where the peace that passes all all understanding actually comes into play in our lives. Because regardless of our suffering, we have peace with God and through God. So now we know that Jesus taught that we would suffer and he sees the suffering of humanity and he is grieved. But what do the apostles teach then? I'm going to look at three of the apostles, three different apostles and what they taught. There is so much about suffering in the New Testament. It's unbelievable. So I've just picked three quick little ones. First, Peter. Peter is one of the disciples that walked with Jesus through his whole ministry for the three, three and a half years. And he says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Peter's like, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's weird that you suffer. Like, Jesus never said we weren't going to. All of human history shows that we suffer. None of us are free from that suffering. He goes, don't think that's strange. Don't believe the lie. This is real life. But rejoice because we suffer like Jesus. Jesus came and suffered, right? We partake in his suffering because we have a hope of a glory that's to, to be revealed. Jesus was raised to life, right? Free from pain and suffering. And that's the hope that we look forward to. And that hope produces joy because this is not our end. This time on earth is not the finished product. We have joy ever before us. and So Peter was convinced that there was purpose to suffering. So let's second look at Paul. And Paul was converted to Christianity after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So we've got someone who walked with Jesus and someone who came to faith after Jesus had died, resurrected, and ascended. So like you and I. So Paul comes to faith in Jesus and he follows Jesus. He plants a whole bunch of churches. And in Romans 5, 3, he says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulations produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, Paul says we glory in suffering because it produces something in us. It produces perseverance or patience. Who needs more patience? I know I do. Just ask my wife and kids. I'll tell you. But that patience, when we go through these trials and tribulations, what does that do? It builds character. It builds faith. It builds hope because hope doesn't disappoint, right? Why? Because we know God's love. The love of God has been poured into our hearts. That means we trust God in the face of suffering. And it's been poured out through the Holy Spirit. It tells us here that we're not alone because we have the Holy Spirit with us, guiding us, empowering us and comforting us through these different times and trials. We become more like Jesus when we suffer, and God used our suffering to refine us in the fire, refine our character and our faith in him. So again, Paul believed that there was purpose to suffering. The last one we'll look at is James. Now, James was Jesus' brother. Again, James seems he comes to faith later on, because in the Gospels, it's kind of like, they say we don't believe that he's like the Son of God until after the resurrection, which is fair enough. Like if my brother said I'm the Son of God, I'd be like, yeah, sure, righto. Probably the hardest one to believe, right? Your, your closest family. So James comes to obviously faith after the resurrection of his brother. And he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, I don't know about you, I don't find it all joy when I'm going through trials. Like in the moment, it's pretty tough, right? Like it's hard to see what God's doing. But he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. It's this testing of our faith. Do we have faith in God? And what happens is that brings joy. Because when we endure and have faith in God and trust Him, it brings out this beautiful, beautiful picture of who we are. Who are we trusting in those moments? I remember, you know, over these years, I've had a few really significant moments in my life where back in my old life, I would have sought revenge. Like, a few things where I, like, deep in my heart, I would have been like, "I'm coming for you." Like, you can't do that to me. You can't do that to my family. We're getting even. And it was so interesting when these things happened. I had this peace, and I didn't want to get revenge. And I was praying that God would forgive them. And 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 I didn't care what happened. I'm like, what has happened to me? <laughs> What's happened to the old Scott? He's gone, right? This testing that I was going through actually proved to me that God was at work in me. And so it brought this joy out of me like, no, God's actually done something in me. He's actually changed my heart. So James saw that suffering was a means to test our faith, therefore had purpose as well. And we see that the apostles, they didn't see suffering as something to fear or to be avoided, but something that refines us, something that shapes us, something that makes us more like Jesus Something that builds our faith, not destroys it. What if that's how people saw us when we suffer? What if people saw us deal with suffering in a totally different way to the rest of the world? What happens when we suffer, we did forgive? Or when we suffer, we spoke about the hope that we have in us? Maybe that's something that would draw people to Christ. What if we actually look for purpose in our suffering? So we see Jesus teaching that we will suffer and God will be with us. And this is consistent with what the apostles taught throughout the rest of the New Testament when they're writing letters to Christians who are going through probably worse things than what we go through. They went through horrible persecution. The next thing is Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh, he himself wasn't immune to suffering. And this is the last point. Jesus is known as the suffering servant. The king who came not to run from suffering, but run into suffering, embrace it for the saving of all humanity. Luke nine twenty one, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he wants to warn them of what's to come. And he strictly warns them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The son of man, myself, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. You see, Jesus came to this earth, he knew his mission was to suffer, and he embraced suffering because he knew what that would actually achieve. And I love Isaiah 53 because it actually prophesies about this suffering servant, this suffering Messiah, this one to come to bring salvation to the whole world. And it's written about 700 years before Jesus. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. So we have this man here, this Messiah, that we rejected, that we actually despised. So he knows what it feels like to be rejected. He knows what it feels like to be totally despised, even though all he did was to come and do good. And he was a man of great sorrow, of great grief. He felt the pain of sorrow and grief and he got no respect from his own creation. We did not esteem him. In verse 4 it says, Surely he has come and bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Jesus came and took our grief, our sorrow. He came to take our shame and our guilt He was a man of sorrow, but he came to take that all upon himself as well. And he gets the judgment of God. He is seen as smitten by God. In that moment on the cross, the judgment for our sin is laid upon Jesus. And in verse 5, it says, And he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. It's our sin that put him on the cross, right? It's our sin that he was beaten and battered and scourged for. It was our sin. It was our peace that we now have from God was brought about through his pain and suffering. He knows what it feels like to have physical pain as well. In verse 6 it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned our own way. Every one of us has gone his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us are turned away from God. Our sin has caused us to be dead spiritually. And God laid all of that on Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message, right? That we were hopeless without God. We were hopeless without the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That it's only through Jesus' shed blood on the cross that we will celebrate in a moment through communion. It's only through this that we have access to God, that we have peace with God. Jesus came to embrace the cross. He didn't run from it because he knew what that was going to buy us. It was our salvation. Christianity, in fact, is the only worldview that can consistently make sense of the problem of evil and suffering. Because Christians serve a God who's lived on the earth, who's endured trauma, temptation, bereavement, grief, torture, hunger, thirst, persecution, even execution. You see, the cross of Christ can be regarded as the ultimate manifestation of God's justice on sin and evil. When we ask, does God care about suffering? Does he care about evil? And the Christian God can point to the cross and say, yeah, that much. That's how much I was willing to suffer for you all because I love you. Jesus ran to suffering for you. That's how much he actually loves you. Christ experienced physical pain as well as feelings of rejection and abandonment. He experienced the same suffering as many people experience today, who know the bitterness of isolation, of pain, of anguish. And we worship a God who knows your pain, who actually cares about your pain and has compassion and grief over your pain and the suffering of all humanity. Why? Because he's experienced all of them. And that's why Jesus came to earth, right? to eternally set us free from sin, that we would be restored back into relationship with him and instill hope in us. This hope that through the cross, hope in eternal life with God free from pain and suffering, would the band like to come up. And we have this promise. We have this promise in Revelation. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. This is the promise Jesus gave to us. He overcame the world of sin and death through his death, burial, and resurrection. For anyone who repents and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, anyone who is a son and daughter of God, we have hope that this is not the end. And we know through God's word that, that God's word tells us that we will suffer, but it's a refining, right? It builds character. How do we show the world who Christ is through our suffering? We, the children of God, know in our hearts. We know this in our hearts because Romans eight twenty-eight says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I love it how Paul says, we know, the witness of the Holy Spirit in our heart is we know that God works all things for good. The Bible testifies that there is purpose in our suffering and we endure because God is good. God is perfect. And somehow, I don't know how, but somehow he works all things for good, just like he did with the horror of the cross. He worked that for the good of all humanity, right? God took what seemed horrible and hopeless in that moment and made Jesus' death the salvation for all who believe. Hallelujah. Praise God. Here's the truth. Our journey will be tough, but we will reach our glorious destination. Hear Jesus' words for you. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So church, we know we will suffer, so we're actually prepared. We know God is with us no matter what we suffer, so we're not alone. We know Jesus has suffered, so he knows the depths of our suffering and he actually cares. And we know there is purpose to our suffering, so we can endure with hope, faith, and love. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I don't know what people are going through right now. I don't know the pain and the suffering. But God, this I know. I know you love them. You care for them. You see their pain and suffering. Lord, I know by your word that you work all things for good, that those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, would you open our eyes to see just a glimpse of your plan, In the midst of suffering, Holy Spirit, would you come in this moment? For those who are suffering, Lord, would you bring your peace that passes all understanding? Holy Spirit, would you support them? Would you comfort them? Would you empower them? May they see opportunity to share your love and your grace in and through whatever they're facing. And God, would we be a community where we stand with one another? We stand with one another in suffering to support and love one another for your glory. God, we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, and we know that you can change all things, so I pray for, for your Holy Spirit to work in miracles and signs and wonders, Lord, for those moments where you can and will change things. But we trust you. We put our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And this is where we come to communion. This is what we remember when we share communion together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that that God himself came in the flesh. God didn't sit on his throne and go, too bad, you guys messed it up, I'm leaving there. He goes, I'm going to come down, physical form, and feel what it feels like to, to suffer pain. To be rejected, to be hated, to be scorned, to feel isolated. I'm willing to lay down my body and shed my blood for each and every one of you. So in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body.'" broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner also after supper he took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he returns let's pray before we take communion Father God, your your word says that we need to bring our hearts in a line with you. We need to make sure our heart is right before you, before we take of this holy communion. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you convict us of any sin? Because Lord, we've all sinned against you and others in word, in thought, in deed, in action. And in action, God. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from unrighteousness through your blood, Lord. And Lord, if there's anyone we have not forgiven that we're holding bitterness or unforgiveness towards, Holy Spirit, would you highlight that person to us now? Because, Lord, we don't want to come and receive the free gift of forgiveness if we're holding unforgiveness somewhere else. So, Lord, we forgive them. We declare that we forgive them. Even though it doesn't feel not right in our heart, Lord, we we forgive from our heart too. Because you've forgiven us so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to rip off the top layer and get the bread out. How about we all stand? This is Jesus' body broken for you, the one who came down to feel suffering and pain for you. Now let's rip off the other one, which is really hard. This is Jesus' blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin, for the washing away of sin to make us as white as snow. Let's drink together as brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are present in this place. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to embrace suffering. You are willing to embrace the cross for each and every one of us here. God, we just thank you and we praise you and we give you all the glory and salvation for you alone are worthy of all that praise. Lord, we thank you for the gift of communion, the gift of your son, Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we come together in this place to worship you in spirit and in truth. And everyone said, amen. So how about we sing worship to this amazing?